Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Oki Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog. And it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together, uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more, come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three. Hello everyone and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we're going to discuss the 1932 death of Della Oliver near Davis, Oklahoma. She died in a tragic car accident. Two others survived by jumping from the car just before the crash. It was ruled an accident, but an insurance agent was not so sure about that. In this episode, we will discuss what happened why and what's happened since but first if you're a first-time listener to experience this podcast to its finest hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes you will be the first to know then head on over to our facebook page here we can discuss the case together and perhaps come up with our own theories on the many cases that will be featured on this show you can find us at facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations. I might sound a little different, and that's due to my sinuses acting up. I hope you all have had a great week. This week's been a little trying for me, but I'll make it through. I was reminded this week that not everyone is who they seem to be, and sometimes there may be a dark side to someone that you just never knew about. You would think that as someone who looks into cases like these, I would expect that, but it's quite shocking when someone you've never guessed. For now on, I'll choose my friends and those I look up to with a little more scrutiny. This is also something I've thought about a lot with this case that we're going to be talking about today. Before we get into all that, I want to provide an update on the case against Anil Azmat. Uh, we covered this case a few weeks ago. He is accused of killing his baby. They later found evidence that the baby had been abused for some time. They had their initial bond hearing this month, and Anil was denied bond. So he's being represented by public defender Craig Corgan. It will be interesting to see where the case goes from here. Right now, they have a preliminary hearing conference scheduled for October 14th. A preliminary hearing conference is generally... These hearings are a time for your attorney and the prosecutor to, dis to discuss your case. The prosecutor will make a plea bargain offer, which you and your attorney will discuss. If you decide to accept the offer, you would waive or give up your right to a trial and set your case for a date for you to plead guilty. If you do not accept the plea offer, 
you will have a case set for a preliminary hearing. So we'll get an idea of what Anil plans to do after this initial process. It'll be pretty interesting to see where this goes. But enough of all that, let's get to our story for this week. When you marry someone, you expect a few things. You expect that you will have someone to love and grow old with. You expect a partner in life. Someone that has your back and you have theirs. So it's really sad when someone's been married for a really short time and they lose their spouse before they even get to have their one year anniversary. This is exactly what happened on November 3rd, 1932. A horrible accident was reported to police. A car had driven off a bridge. Three people were in the car, but only two were still alive. When police arrived on the scene, they were met with a horrible, horrible accident. Claude Oliver and his nephew, George Oliver, were struck with grief. A witness stood nearby. His name was Bert Atkins. When interviewed, Claude told his sad story of what had happened. Claude, his wife Della, and nephew George were in a Ford Roadster. They had crammed in together with Della in the middle. They were on the road approaching the bridge just outside of Davis, Oklahoma. Claude was driving and felt something odd with the car. He thought that it might be a flat tire, and instead of pulling over, he decided to lean over and look at the tires. As he did so, he veered off course and was about to drive right off the bridge. They all tried to jump from the vehicle. The two men were able to make it okay. Della, however, wasn't so lucky. When she left from the vehicle, she was in the direct path of the car and it crushed her. She died instantly. Now, nearly all the accounts of the accident were the same. George's story was almost identical to Claude's and the eyewitness, Bert, he told police what he saw and from his point of view, things pretty well matched up. This story was actually picked up in the local news on the day of the accident. The Davis News, on their November 3rd, 1932 edition, they had an article titled, Miss Oliver Killed When Car Overturns. Just as we go to press, Miss Della Oliver, who lives in north of Davis, was killed when the Ford Roadster in which she and two relatives were riding missed a culvert and overturned into the ditch. The accident happened three miles southeast of Davis and was said to have been caused when the driver ran off the bridge while looking to see if he had a flat tire. Miss Oliver jumped, the car falling on her, and killed her instantly. And then a follow-up was in the next issue that was dated November 10th, 1932. It's kind of her obituary if you see it that way. Miss Oliver, who was killed last Thursday afternoon in an auto wreck near the Brassfield home southeast of Davis, mention of which was made in last issue, was Miss Della Ring Oliver, age 15, wife of Claude Oliver. His cousin, George Oliver, was in the car with them at the time of the accident. She was the daughter of T.L. Ring of Winniewood was born in Emory, Arkansas, and moved to Winniewood in 1923. She was married to Claude Oliver last August. Now, I feel like it's important to note here that everyone accepted at this time that this was just an accident. 
there was nothing really suspicious about it because accidents happen. So the police filed this away as not suspicious. The undertaker who took the body didn't know anything that was, you know, strange or different. And the family of Della was accepting of what happened and they accepted the explanation and didn't really question anything. Now, that was except for one person. You see, before this accident, just weeks before actually, Claude Oliver and Della Oliver had got life insurance policies on themselves. Now, if something were to happen, even if it was an accident, uh, the surviving person would be given $5,000 as a part of the policy. Normally, when accidents like these happen, insurance agencies don't do a whole lot. They accept what the police have offered up as an accident, and they will pay out the policy as such. But in the case of this, when you have a policy that is so new that the ink has barely dried on the papers, they want to take a, a little bit of a deeper look just to make sure that what the police are saying is actually correct. So the insurance agency decided they're going to go ahead and send out an agent. This agent went to police with some of their suspicions about the case and wanted to just clarify that everything was an accident. When they informed the police that they had an insurance policy on Della and that they stood to gain $5,000, it was a new policy, and that the two had only been married for a very short time, the police became a little bit more interested in the case. The police and the insurance investigator went out to the scene of the accident and they found something a little suspicious. Now, about 150 yards away from the accident, they found what they thought was a signs of struggle that may have taken place. They found pieces of skull that was in the road that, where it shouldn't have been, way, way too far away of where, where they thought anything should be in an accident like this. So the investigators decided that they were going to question both George and Claude Oliver and see if their stories stand up to what this evidence is showing. During their questioning, their story began to unravel when they were presented with the evidence of the pieces of skull that were found in the road just too far from where it should be. It became clear that something more sinister happened here and when pressed, both men confessed to their crimes. Now, this was written in detail by the Pauls Valley Democrat, dated the 17th of November, 1932. The scheme and arrangement whereby they carried out their plan was so novel and clever that they almost succeeded in their attempt to commit cold-blooded murder. All of the intended parties, including the family of the deceased, were satisfied that her death was the result of an accident. Only until investigators of the insurance company got on the job was there any suspicion of foul play. The confession signed by the two young men, so it is stated, admits that the plot began last summer when they tossed a coin to see which of them would marry the girl. 
the lot fell to Claude Oliver, and it was then agreed that George Oliver would do the killing. The marriage took place about two months ago. An insurance policy was taken out immediately for $5,000, with a double clause covering an accidental death. Now, all of this is just absolutely disgusting. The flip of a coin is what decides who kills and who marries. And it's almost done with such disregard that neither of them really seem to care who does which. The plan is then set into place. When Claude does marry Della, they then take out the insurance policy, setting up what she did not know would be her eventual death. The article then continued with the confession. On November 3rd, they were traveling down a road near Davis when they decided they were having tire trouble. Claude Oliver was inspecting the tire when George attacked the girl, hitting her in the head with a file. She ran to her husband, so the confession stated, asking for aid, and he proceeded to grab her and hold her while George rained blows upon her head with a piece of car spring until she fell unconscious. They proceeded to place the body into the car and drove it down the road and overturned the car in a ditch, leaving her body underneath the car. It was reported they told the story of the wreck with great clearness, stating that they were both sitting on the outside and managed to jump out of the car just before it turned over. But the girl, being in the middle, was not able to get out. Later, when officers discovered evidence of a struggle and a small pieces of skull in the road about 150 yards from the scene of the wreck, According to reports, investigation which started finally terminated in this confession revealing a crime of brutality and horror seldom noted in the so-called civilized times. It is understood that the boys have offered to plead guilty before W.G. Long, district judge of this district. All of the interested parties, including the two boys, their families, and the family of the girl, live in the neighborhood of Winniewood, where they were very well known. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but they do mention that they beat her with a car spring. This is not actually the first case that we've covered around this time frame that resulted in someone beating another individual with a car spring. I find it very interesting that that would be used as a weapon. I, I just it. I picture a spring. I mean, I I probably should just look it up and see what the car springs of the time looked like. Because apparently, that is a weapon, a very deadly weapon, because it has been used in more than one case here in Oklahoma. Now, a key piece of the information that was left out of this article was that there was a witness to everything that happened here. Now, it was the statements by the eyewitness, Burt Atkins, that caused the police to not question too much of what happened originally. Burt is also charged with being an accomplice in the murder as well. Now, after this confession, 
the file, the piece of car spring, and a rock with blood and hair on it was said to have been found by officers near the scene of the killing. This was all pretty consistent with the confessions and really kind of backed up what they were confessing to. Now, at their first appearance in district court, the three men pleaded not guilty. For their own safety, the judge decided that they were going to be held in the state pen in McAllister, Oklahoma. This was mainly due to the severity of their crime. They didn't want somebody ending up in jail with them locally that knew what had happened and maybe would act out against them. Strangely enough, this is a real-world problem. The jail system, even today, uh, I used to work at the county jail here, and we have what's called classifications. So we would take somebody that, uh, let's say they were a gang member, and let's say that they're a part of a particular gang that hates another gang. Well, you don't want to put them in a situation where they may be in a um, part of the jail where their opposing gang might be. So what classifications typically does is they take those gang members and they'll separate them out so they don't cause problems for the jailers there at the jail. So the same would be done for high-profile pro crimes. So somebody that did something that was rather high-profile or particularly heinous, uh, they might separate them out. They might get the cell to themselves in a pod that uh, only houses just a few people of kind of the same nature of crimes. So we had, at the time that I worked there, we had one particular floor that was mainly pods of that type where it was just one person in and it was highly guarded those inmates didn't actually get out of their cells except for about 30 minutes a day just so they could shower shave and uh, watch a little bit of tv pretty much and that was the extent of their activities at this time it was pretty common for the local jails to use the prison system to kind of keep high-profile inmates safe. This way, nobody either stormed the jail or someone maybe purposely gets themselves arrested to end up in jail with the same person. Because you're talking about these local crimes where you know friends and family members may be so angry about what happened, they just want revenge. And back at this time it might be possible for those things to happen so in order to prevent that they decided that they would use the prison system to help keep these inmates safe on december 12th claude oliver decided he was going to change his plea to guilty he didn't want to go through the trial knowing what the outcome would probably be the next day, on December 13th, George Oliver also changed his plea to guilty. Now, when you see like things like this happen today, it's typically in response to maybe a plea deal or some kind of offer that the prosecution has given the defense. And it is 
in order to avoid something like the death penalty or maybe life imprisonment. Maybe the charges will be dropped a little bit, maybe not be as severe as they were originally. But in this case, and as often that I've seen in a lot of these cases in this time frame, that is not the case here. They didn't really see it as they were saving the state money or that they weren't wasting everybody's time with a trial. Uh, what they saw was two murderers that did something so heinous that they deserved a severe punishment. So, in response to their guilty pleas, the judge then had to decide what their punishment would be. So, the very next day, on December 14th, the judge decided he was going to give them death. So, Claude Oliver, who was 28 years old at the time, and George Oliver, who was 18, would be facing the electric chair very soon. Now, very interesting enough, George Oliver, being 18 years old, would be the youngest man in Oklahoma to be put to death by the electric chair if the sentence was carried out. Now, February 10th, 1933, the attorneys for both Claude and George Oliver have filed appeals to the sentence. They think it's a bit excessive seeing that they had pleaded guilty. The attorneys believe that there should be some leniency given that they avoided a trial as we spoke of before. Those appeals were denied. The last remaining thing that could save them at this point was the governor. If the governor were to give them clemency, then he, they could avoid the death penalty. The families pleaded in the paper. They wanted them to be spared the death penalty, just give them life, is what pretty much what they were uh, campaigning for at this point. And also, seeing that George was so young in this case, they stood a chance that the governor might actually intervene on his behalf. Governor Murray took it very seriously, and he actually did review their case pretty thoroughly. But he decided that the court's actions were justified, and that there was no reason for him to intervene on this case. Before the execution, George wrote home to tell his mother that he was thinking of her. He heard that she was not feeling well, and he wanted to check in and say sorry that things weren't going as well as they'd hoped. He did say it was a pretty morning that morning, and he wasn't really complaining about the situation that he was in. He had plans that he was going to be baptized before the execution, and that he wished her well. Before his death, George was interviewed by a reporter, and he was quoted to saying, I'll be gone before long. That will be the end of me. But I've been thinking of a lot here, and I've been wanting to say this to the parents of boys. Call your boys around you. Take the paper and read them the story of my execution. Maybe it will help them. Maybe it will keep them from getting into the place that I'm in. Don't hide the paper. Let all the boys know what happened. Let all the boys know what it means. He then said, of course, I don't believe in capital punishment. But if they're going to have it, 
Let them have it out in the open. Let them call in the little boys and the big boys and the young men and everyone see what a terrible death is facing them if they commit crime as I have. Now, as if it was something that he wished, uh, George was executed in front of a crowd of 200 witnesses, uh, by far the biggest amount of witnesses who have seen an ex execution in Oklahoma. He stated before them all, I did the crime, and now I must die for it. I feel like I'm going to heaven. Claude, the 28-year-old un uncle, went to his death mumbling to himself without any statement. He was pronounced dead just minutes after being electrocuted. This was a pretty sad case. This was one that's not even really written about very much in Oklahoma's history. Something kind of forgotten. And it was stumbled upon when I was uh, going through just newspapers, kind of at random, and I found a little bit about this case uh, on one of the newspapers of the time. And I decided to look into it just a little bit further and kind of went down this rabbit hole. It was a pretty interesting process, and it was actually kind of fun to look at something that had not really been discussed much elsewhere since. Notably, the death penalty in this case was taken pretty quick, uh, within less than a year, really, uh, from when the crime happened to when their death penalty had actually taken place. They were given their appeal process, and uh, it was pretty short. That is something that's not really common today. We give people the uh, appeal process and uh, give them multiple uh, avenues to uh, prove either their innocence or maybe there was some wrongdoing during the trial. I'd like to thank you guys for joining me once again into the dark corner of Oklahoma's history. Uh, join me again next week where we are going to once again delve into the unknown dark history that Oklahoma has. Make sure you guys subscribe. That actually really helps me out in a lot of ways, especially with the algorithms of where we are placed in the podcasting networks. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Investigations. My name once again is Trevor Shelby, and I'll see you guys next week. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.